0: This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. I have for you another vision of St. John Bosco, two of them actually, and they are once again on the subject of purity and innocence. You can tell here from these visions that he is deeply concerned with the eternal fate of the boys in his care. Of course, his words are timeless, and they reach out to us from almost two centuries past his own death, but the saint here reminds us of possibly the, the hardest sins in our time to overcome, that of vice and impurity. Something for us to consider, I think, on our way to and from or from Mass today. Let me know what you thought of this at the end. A Ghastly Pit, a biographical memoir of a vision of St. John Bosco on November 13th 1863 at the good night address Don Bosco said yesterday morning we made the exercise for a happy death now I fear that some of you did not make it well let me tell you a dream I had last night I was with you in the playground while you were all playing then we all went for a stroll to a meadow where you resumed your pastimes mostly jumping games Suddenly, I spotted an unguarded pit in the center of the meadow, and hastened over to make sure it was safe. As I looked into it, I saw a short, yellow-spotted, mean-looking serpent coiled at the bottom. It seemed as huge as a horse or even as an elephant. I leaped back in fright. Meanwhile, a good number of you began jumping over the pit. Oddly enough, it never dawned on me to stop you or alert you to the danger. I noticed that while the younger boys were leaping over it nimbly, the older ones, being heavier, often clumsily landed on the very edge. Each time this happened, the serpent would strike out, nip its victim's foot, leg, or other part of his body, and quickly drop out of sight. Unconcerned, these foolhardy lads kept jumping, though they hardly ever went unscathed. As this was going on, a boy pointing to a companion said, he'll jump once and barely make it. Then he'll jump again, and that will be the end of him. Grieved to see boys lying about wounded in legs, arms, and even hearts, I asked, Why did you jump over the pit and keep it up even after you got hurt? We're still not too good at jumping, they replied with a sigh. Then you shouldn't have jumped! We couldn't help it, we were just not too good at it. Besides, we didn't think it was too risky. One boy in particular really shook me, the lad who had been pointed out to me. On a second leap, he failed and fell into the pit. Moments later, he was spewed out, black as coal, though still breathing and able to speak. We all stared at him in horror and kept asking him questions. The Ruffino Chronicle says nothing more. It is utterly silent about the dream's interpretation and the admonitions, all the more necessary at the start of a new school year, which Don Bosco undoubtedly gave the boys publicly and privately. Here is one explanation for the vision. The pit is the one mentioned in Holy Scripture, a deep ditch, a narrow pit, the pit of destruction. See Psalm 54, verse 24. In it lies the demon of impurity, as St. Jerome tells us in his 11th homily on St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Seemingly, the dream does not point to souls already enslaved by sin, but to those who place themselves in danger of sin. At this point, lightheartedness, fun, and peace of heart begin to fade away. The younger boys jump nimbly and safely over the pit, because their passions are still dormant. Blissfully innocent, they are fully engrossed in their games, and their guardian angels safeguard their innocence in and simplicity. The dream, though, does not say that they kept jumping over the pit. Perhaps they heeded a friend's advice. The Biographical Memoirs of St. John Bosco's Vision of the Ten Hills, given October 1864. Don Bosco seemed to be in a vast valley, swarming with thousands and thousands of boys. So many, in fact, that their number surpassed belief. Among them he could see all past and present pupils. The rest, perhaps, were yet to come. Scattered among them were priests and clerics there at the oratory. A lofty bank blo- blocked one end of the valley. As Don Bosco wondered what to do with all those boys, a voice said to him, "'Do you see that bank? Well, both you and the boys much reach its summit.' At Don Bosco's word, all these youngsters dashed toward the bank. The priests, too, ran up the slope, pushing the boys ahead, lifting up those who fell, and hoisting on their shoulders those who were too tired to climb farther. Father Rua, his sleeves rolled up, kept working hardest of all, gripping two boys at a time and literally hurling them up to the top of the bank, where they landed on their feet and merrily scampered about. Meanwhile, Father Cagliaro and Father Francesca ran back and forth, encouraging the youngsters to climb. "'It did not take long for all of them to make it to the top. "'Now what shall we do?' Don Bosco asked. "'You must all climb each of the ten hills before you,' the voice replied. "'Impossible, so many young, frail boys will never make it. "'Those who can't will be carried,' the voice countered. "'At this moment, at the far end of the bank appeared a gorgeous, triangular-shaped wagon, "'too beautiful for words, three wheels swiveled in all directions.' Three shafts rose from its corner and joined to support a richly embroidered banner, carrying in the large letters the inscription, Innocentia, Innocence. A wide band of rich material was draped about the wagon, bearing the legend, with the help of the Most High God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glittering with golden gems, the wagon came to a stop in the boys' midst. At a given order, five hundred of the smaller ones climbed into it. Among the untold thousands, only these few hundred were still innocent. As Don Bosco kept wondering which way to go, a wide level road strewn with thorns opened before him. Suddenly there were also appeared six white-clad former pupils who had died at the oratory. Holding aloft another splendid banner with the inscription, Penance, they placed themselves at the head of the multitude, which was to walk the whole way. As the signal to move was given, many priests seized the wagon's prow and led the way, followed by the six white-clad boys and the rest of the multitude. The lads in the wagon began singing, Laudate pure dominum, praise the Lord you children, see Psalm 112 verse 1, with indescribable sweetness. Don Bosco kept going, enthralled by their heavenly melody, but on an impulse he turned to find out if the boys were following. To his deep regret, he noticed that many had stayed behind in the valley, while many others had turned back. Heartbroken, he wanted to retrace his steps to persuade those boys to follow him and to help them along, but it was absolutely forbidden to do so. Those poor boys will be lost, he protested. So much the worse for them, he was told. They, too, received the call but refused to follow you. They saw the road they had to travel. They had their chance. Don Bosco insisted, pleaded and begged, but in vain. You, too, must obey, he was told. He had to walk on. He was still smarting with this pain when he became aware of another sad fact a large number of those riding in the wagon had gradually fallen off so that a mere 150 stood still stood under the banner of innocence his heart was aching with unbearable grief he hoped that it was only a dream and made every effort to awaken himself but unfortunately it was all too real he clapped his hands and heard their sound he groaned and heard his sighs resound through the room he wanted to banish this horrible vision but could not "'My dear boys,' he exclaimed at this point of his narration, "'I recognize those of you who stayed behind in the valley "'and those who turned back or fell from the wagon. "'I saw you all. "'You can be sure that I will do my utmost to save you. "'Many of you whom I urged to go to confession "'did not accept my invitation. "'For heaven's sake, save your souls.'" Many of those who had fallen off the wagon joined those who were walking. Meanwhile, the singing in the wagon continued, and it was so sweet that it gradually abated Don Bosco's sorrow. Seven hills had already been climbed. As the boys reached the eighth, they found themselves in a wonderful village, where they stopped for a brief rest. The houses were indescribably beautiful and luxurious. In telling the boys of this village, Don Bosco remarked, I could repeat what St. Teresa said about heavenly things. To speak of them is to belittle them. They are just too beautiful for words. I shall only say that the doorposts of these houses seemed to be made of gold, crystal, and diamond all at once. They were a most wonderful, satisfying, pleasing sight. The fields were dotted with trees laden simultaneously with blossoms, buds, and fruit. It was out of this world. The boys scattered all over, eager to see everything and to taste the fruit. Here another surprise awaited Don Bosco. His boys suddenly looked like old men, toothless, wrinkled, white-haired, bent over, lame, leaning on canes. He was stunned, but the voice said, "'Don't be surprised. It's been years and years since you left that valley. The music made your trip seem so short.' If you want proof, look at yourself in the mirror and you will see that I am telling the truth. Don Bosco was handed a mirror. He himself had grown old, with his face deeply lined and his few remaining teeth decayed. The march resumed. Now and then the boys asked to be allowed to stop and look at the novelties around them, but he kept urging them on. We are neither hungry nor thirsty, he said. We have no need to stop. Let us keep going. Far away, on the tenth hill, arose a light which grew increasingly larger and brighter, as though pouring from a gigantic doorway. Singing resumed, so enchanting that its like may possibly be enjoyed only in paradise. It was simply indescribable, because it did not come from instruments or human throats. Don Bosco was so overjoyed that he awoke only to find himself in bed. He then explained his dream thus. The valley is the world. The bank symbolizes the obstacles we have to surmount in detaching ourselves from it. The wagon is self-evident. The youngsters on foot were those who lost their innocence but repented of their sins. He also added that the ten hills symbolize the ten commandments, whose observance leads to eternal life. He concluded by saying that he was ready to tell some boys confidently what they had been doing in the dream, whether they had remained in the valley or fallen off the wagon. Another sobering set of visions from St. John Bosco, he seems to be hammering home something that is lost to modern ears, that purity and innocence are essential, that impurity is possibly the most dangerous of all vices, not the greatest of sins, but the one that snares the most souls. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please, and I hope you found this helpful on your way to or home from Mass today. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help, as does sharing this on social media. That helps as well. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.